0: Thank you, Bob, and thank you, founding members. Thank you, Dan, Joe, Grace team, for a wonderful time together, reflecting on how God birthed this church. It is my firm conviction that our church is birthed by the Word of God. I have the privilege of uh, sharing with you uh, our study from Psalm 19, Um, and I believe this is the study and sermon that planted our church Um, because God opened my eyes to see the truth of of God's Word here, and because the founding members, they didn't spurn it, reject it, ignore it, but they heard this sermon in 1997, and they took it to heart. They believed that the Word of God is to be our singular authority in our lives and in our church. And because of that, when we planted, because of that, God planted this church To uphold God's truth. So let's stand together. We open your Bibles to uh, the book of Psalms, chapter 19. And we'll read God's word together. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. more to be desired a day than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors, declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Please be seated. Well, yesterday, my wife had an opportunity to attend a bridal shower, so she took all the girls, Elizabeth, Emma, and Eleanor, and I was left home by myself with Ethan. She had some food in the refrigerator for us to heat up for to have lunch together. But I thought, well, I have leftovers, but I can go out and eat at a restaurant. (laughs) And uh, buy LA Times and uh, savor Lakers victory on Friday night while Ethan plays with his car. So I get in my car, and I don't know if you do this, but I mentally taste food before choosing a restaurant. I do it all the time. You know, you ask yourself, what should I eat? So I sit there and I taste Japanese food. I taste my pork cutlet, right? My um, spicy tuna hand roll with spicy mayo sauce, and I taste it. And then I try Korean food. I try maybe sundubu, medium spice, or galbi and I taste it. And then I go, what about Thai food? And I, I try out the peasant fried rice in Banana Bay Restaurant, or kaiyang, or beef satay at Fulton um, Thai Barbecue. And then I try out, maybe go to an American restaurant, go to get a burger, a pastrami burger, I taste that. And based on the flavor or my memory, that chooses the restaurant for me where I would eat. Yesterday I went Chinese food, right? <laughs> I tasted my sweet and sour pork and it was very delicious to my palate. So I didn't ask Ethan where he wanted to eat, I'm going where I want to go. Well, like so with the word of God god 's word Psalm nineteen calls us to trust it, submit to it, love it, cherish it, not because of its moral, not because it's ethical, not because it's true, but because it's so satisfying it's so um sweet because it' is so delights our soul. The Bible talks about taste and see if the Lord is good. And so here in Psalm 19, God calls us to revere His Word, not by commanding us, not by ordering us, but by reminding us of all the benefits, all the joys that the Word of God produces. Starting from verse 7, we see all these different terms used for the Word of God, and following it are its unique results. So the Word of God calls to us to love it, not as a command so much, but with incentives. It it pulls at our hearts. It calls us to remember the the taste, uh, the fruit, the sweetness of God's Word, and calls us to uh, enjoy it, uh, and in that way calls us to Himself. And that is what Cornerstone has been for us. That is how God birthed this church through God's Word. It wasn't a slave master ordering us, but our hearts were turned, and we were considering planning, to, should we plan the search or not? And we remembered what the Word of God tasted like. Remember what it was like, the sweetness, the satisfaction, the joy of, of submitting to the Word of God, hearing it proclaimed, living according to its scriptures. And so we couldn't help ourselves. Our hearts moved us according to the scriptures. Let's go through um, the five results, five fruits, the five uh, joys of the Word of God. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect in two senses. It's pure and it's complete. Psalm one nineteen one sixty: 160, all your words are true, all your righteous laws are eternal. Psalm 12, verse 6, The words of the Lord are flawless, like silver refined in a furnace of clay, purified seven times. It is pure, it is perfect, it is complete, because the author is pure. The author is holy, because the author is complete. Theologians use the term inerrancy, because God is perfect, His words are perfect. His words are true, His words are powerful. There are no errors in its statements, declarations, prophecies, and conclusions in the Word of God because of the close connection with Yahweh and His words, His truths, His declarations. Therefore, to assign error to the Word of God is to assign error to God. To attack and undermine Scripture is to attack and undermine God Himself. To submit to God means submitting to Scriptures. And that was our heart. And that is our heart today. That we don't qualify the Word of God. We don't take out Scripture. We don't add to it. We believe it is perfect. It is pure. It is sufficient. It is complete. It doesn't need anything. It doesn't need my wisdom. It doesn't, it doesn't need new discoveries from science or, so, or social sciences. It doesn't need adjustments to our culture or our, 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 our age or, or our, our psyche. It is pure, it is complete, it is true, altogether sure. Therefore, we do not add or subtract. We don't have a buff-faced mentality with the Word of God. right? We don't pick and choose truths that we want and truths that we do not want. No, we submit to it completely because God wrote it and it is pure, it is complete. So what does this perfect law accomplish? Verse 7 tells us, It revives the soul. The American Standard Bible version says, restores the soul. King James Version says, it converts the soul. The Hebrew word is shawab. It means to turn back, turn around. It grants salvation. It changes the inner man. It changes the person's heart. It gives life. So a person that is spiritually dead, the Word of God, because it is singularly from God and it is pure, perfect, and complete, does something that nothing else can do. It saves people, it gives life, it gives regenerative power regeneration to a soul to a person second Timothy three fifteen Paul talked about this of the holy scriptures which is able to make you wise for salvation. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Elsewhere, Paul said in Romans 1.16, the word of God is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is God's power to save. We are helpless to save. I am helpless to save anyone. I am helpless to save myself. How can I help anyone else? It is the idea that scripture is so comprehensive that it transforms a person's life. It transforms the soul. The real you, the whole person. It converts, it restores, gives spiritual birth, has the power of total transformation. And that's what the Word of God accomplishes. And that is why we are so committed to preaching the Gospel at our church. That is why the high point of the worship service is when God's Word is opened and it is declared. Because this is what has saved us. And this is what sanctifies us. And this is what enables enables us to be set free from our idols to worship and glorify our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I distinctly remember my conversion. I remember when I got saved. I was living in sin. I was lost and living for my idols that, that enslaved me, that tortured me, that deceived me, led me astray. I was living in sin hearing a guy talk, sharing from Romans chapter 7. And he was going on and on, and he was I could tell he was confused. I could tell he was kind of mixed up. He didn't really know what he was talking about. So my Bible was open, so I was reading through it, and I passed on chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, where Paul said, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us i read that and that promise leaped out at me ah oh, he will not disappoint us but will give us hope through Christ's love my eyes were open my heart was pierced my love for sin the strength of it started to dissipate. And I saw for the first time the beauty of the gospel and the hope that it promises. And that was accomplished by the word of God. And that's for all of us who are Christians here. We have been saved by the word of God. We've tasted it. Therefore, we long for the word because we've Taste it firsthand, what it's like when we receive the Word of God, when we hear it, when we believe it, when we trust it. That's the first thing God upholds about His Word, that we ought not put our trust in anything else. The Word of God should be singular in our hearts because this pure, perfect, complete Word of God does something that nothing else can. Converts, saves, regenerates transforms, restores the soul. Secondly, second part of verse 7, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. NIV says the statutes, the, the Word of God is trustworthy, worthy of our trust. Morally to be true, morally to be certain. They are so firm, steadfast that, that the Word of God is worthy of our trust telling us that nothing else in this life is worthy of our trust. We can't trust in information given to us by the world, by scientists, by government officials. We can't trust technology. We can't trust psychology. We can't even trust our own hearts, our own experiences, because of the noetic effects of sin. When sin entered the world, it contaminated every part of our inner man. People will tell you, trust your heart, trust your gut instinct. And Jeremiah 17:9 says, the heart is deceitful above all else. Desperately sick. Who can understand it? It is beyond cure. The greatest deceiver, the greatest liar is our hearts. So we can't trust other people's hearts and our own hearts It is not worthy. They are not worthy of our trust. God's Word says instead, the Word of God is worthy of our trust because it is so sure. It is steadfast. It's morally certain. And this Word of God, what does it produce in us? It produces wisdom. It gives us understanding. It gives us insight. Psalm 119, 98 through 100. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers. I have more understanding than the elders because of your precepts. The Word of God instills wisdom in our hearts, in our inner man. Not by giving us more information, giving us more facts, more data. The Word of God gives us wisdom by putting us in our place by teaching us who God is, by teaching us that God alone is sovereign, that He alone is omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, that He alone is holy, He alone is our Creator and the Sovereign One of all things. It puts us in our place that we are creation, we are sinners, we rebelled against the Holy God, and He is to be worshipped. And by putting us in that place, gives us wisdom. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You want to be wise? It begins with the fear of the Lord. How do we acquire the fear of the Lord apart from the Word of God? It's impossible. Apart from God's Word, we are filled with pride. We're filled with self-love, self-idolatry. We are filled with worshiping ourselves. We think we are the greatest. We have power, innate power, to create our own destinies, exhort our own will, and we are free. Our hearts deceive us. It is only through Scripture that we are put in our place. And God instills in us wisdom. The Word of God accomplishes this. Thirdly, verse eight: the precepts of the Lord are right. It's yashar. It means it's united. The, the Word of God holds to one direction. It's 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 straight. It doesn't have double speak. It doesn't contradict itself. The most frustrating thing you can have, whether you're a student or you're a child, you're under authority, is when someone in authority. Gives you like your employer, your manager, your boss gives you contradictory commands or information right? that that frustrates and that undermines and that hinders uh, hinders you, but not the word of God. It is yashar. It holds to one direction because it has one author, it has one clear message, and that message culminates in the gospel of Christ. Christ's work on the cross. So what does that produce in us? Produces in us, the Hebrew word is samach. Joy. It rejoices the heart. Rejoices the heart. It gives us joy. Joy, it's not happiness. It is joy. Uh, Non-Christians, they look happy on the outside, but they're miserable on the inside. So they are committed to temporary suicide. Whether it's alcohol or drugs, whether it's movies or iPod or working out or watching football or basketball or immersing themselves in work, they run to temporary suicide because the, the, the angst of their, their existence, the hopelessness, meaninglessness. there's no reason, their guilt and shame with their sins compounds and snowballs within them Existence is unacceptable. It's 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 overwhelming. So they they live lives of of, of temporary suicide, punctuated by moments of reality. So out, outwardly they look happy, but inwardly they're miserable. But Christians, we live in the real world. Uh, we understand there is sadness, sorrow, pressure in the real world. We don't live like happy to go lucky, you know. Life is uh, full of rainbows and sunshine. We live in the real world, but in our hearts, there is abiding joy. There is deep satisfaction. Because the core issue with our souls has been dealt with, and that issue is sin. The fact that we have sinned against the Holy God, we have rebelled against Him, that we murdered His Son by our sins our presumptuous, high-handed, premeditated sins done repeatedly, the truth that that's been forgiven gives us joy, grants us eternal joy. The idea that Christ drank the whole cup of God's wrath on the cross. He experienced hell on our behalf. He is our substitute. Therefore, what do we drink? We drink the cup of the sweet wine. We drink the cup of blessing. The cup of promise. That's the gospel. Many of us think that God, Christ drank 98% of that cup. There is still 2% of God's wrath remaining for us when we sin. And God will pour out His wrath. Not 100%, but still 2%. There's a remaining anger in God that we'll receive because of our sinfulness. We think that way because that's the way we are. That's the way I am with my children. Like Ethan sins on Monday night. right? So I, I discipline him. I deal with his sin. I pray for him. I forgive him. Put him to sleep. Next morning I wake him up and there is still anger in my heart. Not as much as the night before. But I remember the heartache he caused me. There is still like 5% Maybe 50% angry in my heart. And Ethan's forgotten about it. He's happy. Good morning, Daddy. You know, ready to go. And I'm like fighting in my heart because I'm still angry. And I project that to God. I, yes, he was angry at, on my behalf on the cross toward, toward his son. But because of my just utter failure as a Christian, because of my many sins, my continual failures, God must still be angry with me. He has 2% of wrath remaining. That's not what the gospel says at all. The gospel says Christ took all of God's wrath. And because we have been imputed with His righteousness, when Christ looks at us, there is no wrath whatsoever. There is no condemnation. There is no judgment. Only thing He sees in us is the righteousness of His beloved Son. His perfect life is what God sees. Therefore, He lavishes us. He loves us. He, 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 he pr- cherishes us. He honors us because of His Son. And because that's the gospel that the Word of God has given to us, what, what is our response? It's joy. Right? It's pure joy in our hearts. And that's what, what the Word of God produces. Fourthly, 8b, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlighten the eyes. The word pure is clear. The word is, is translucent. It is true, it's so, it's clear, it's, it's, it's perceptible. And enlighten the eyes, the idea of opening our eyes. We were blind, but now we see. That metaphor has been used throughout scripture and throughout church history because it's so aptly decra- described as the conversion experience. Of being blind and having sight. That's what the man in, in John 9, born blind. He had never seen anything in his whole life. And he was healed. He had sight. And because this was done on the Sabbath, the Pharisees go to him and say, Don't you know that the man who cured you is a sinner? And his response was, I don't know if he's a sinner or not, John nine twenty five. But one thing I know is I was blind, but now I see. That's what the Apostle Paul said, right? On the road to Damascus, he was—he saw, he, for him, his religion, his religious accomplishments, they were beautiful in his sight. And in an instant, he was physically blinded, remember? But spiritually, his eyes were opened and he realized what he was holding on to was scubalon. It was rubbish. It was trash. It was garbage. It, it was thinking and he saw that which he hated jesus christ was his lord was his savior was the one who would forgive him of all his sins i mean this happened on calvary like right? matthew 26 remember the centurion he was the one responsible for the crucifixion of our lord he's the one who beat Christ. He's the one who spat on him and punched him, put a crown of thorns on his head and a purple robe and mocked him. He's the one who oversaw, if not pounded the nails into his hands and his feet and saw him as a lunatic, as a loser, as scum. And in that instant after Christ's death, his eyes were opened. One minute he saw a lunatic. He saw a man, pitiful man, dying on the cross. Next instant. He was filled with praise to God because he saw Christ as his substitute. That Christ died in his place because of God's love for his soul. And in that instant he went away praising God. That is what happened to John Newton and that's why he wrote Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound, that saved the rest like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. was blind, but now I see. Was a slave trader, or a hater of God, had no fear of God in his eyes. He's saved and he sees how evil his deeds were. How wicked they were in the sight of God. And how amazing God's grace is that would save him. And that's a testimony of all Christians who've tasted the word of God. They've experienced this opening of the eyes. All of a sudden, the light has come on and we, we see all the things that we were worshiping, that we were passionate about, that we were pursuing. It's all rubbish. It's all trash compared to the surpassing glory of knowing Christ. And then final one is 9b in verse 10. Utmost satisfaction. Utmost sweetness. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous. And therefore are to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. They are sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. In the ancient Near East, the sweetest substance known was honey straight from the honeycomb. David here, after tasting God's word, says God's word is even sweeter than that. It's more satisfying, more delightful, more giving pleasure than any substance in this world. Believers understand that. The joy of tasting God's word and savoring it and how sweet it is to the soul. Um, I shared this story many times. It's uh, it's in Rabbi Zacharias' book, uh, Deliver Us From Evil. It's a true story. He recounts how he was an evangelist during the Vietnam War. He would go through South Vietnam proclaiming the gospel to soldiers, civilians as well. He had a translator named Hien who traveled with him for the whole year translating a sermon in Vietnamese. When he left that country in the early 70s, he wondered what happened to his translator. After the end of the war, he, had, he never heard from him. Early 1980s, Ravi Zacharias gets a phone call and on the other, he hears brother Ravi and immediately Ravi Zacharias recognizes that voice. It's him, that translator. He's shocked. He said, what happened to you after the war? He Told him his story. After the war, he was arrested and put in a concentration camp as someone who was aiding and abetting the enemy, who was part of the Western capitalists, Western imperialists of the U.S., trying to enslave Vietnam and take him away from communism. He was tortured. He was given literature, propaganda from the, uh, the communist government to brainwash him. He was told that he was lied to by the West. He was deceived because of their imperialist desires, they converted him to Christianity, this Western religion, to ensnare him, and to to bind him, and to deceive him. They told him repeatedly, God does not exist. God doesn't hear prayer. If God existed, how could this happen to you? After years of this treatment, his faith began to buckle, he told Rabbi Zacharias. And so he came, more he thought, he came to a decision. One day, he resolved that he would stop praying. He would no longer think about the Christian faith, no longer think of Christ. That morning during war call, uh, their duties were handed out. And the most dreaded chore of the camp was to clean out the latrines. This brother here was given an assignment to uh, clean out the latrines. As he went about doing the chore he noticed in the trash can a piece of paper with English written on it. He hadn't seen English writing in, in five years, many years. He quickly cleaned it out, put it in his pocket to re- read later that night. Throughout the day, he, he wondered, what could it be? I hadn't read English in so many years. He wondered, later, late that night, after everyone had gone to, to bed, he pulled out of his pocket this piece of paper and under moonlight, he opened it and it was sharp to read on the top corner, Romans chapter 8. And he read this. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things what shall separate us from the love of Christ shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sore knowing all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons neither the present nor the future nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He wept and wept. He knew his Bible. He had not seen one for so long. Not only that, he knew there was not a more relevant passage of conviction and strength for one on the verge of surrendering the threat of evil. He cried out to God that night asking for forgiveness for this was to have been the first day in years that he had determined not to pray. God had other plans. The next day he volunteered to clean the the latrine again. He found out that a camp commander was using the Bible as toilet paper. And so what is trash to the world is what is most precious to Christian children Every day he would go to the waste basket, clean it out, put it in his pocket, and he made a small Bible for himself and dad kept his faith during his years in the concentration camp For Christians and we go through all sorts of trials, heartaches, disappointments in this world and in our flesh. What is that, that that gives us joy, that gives us endurance, that gives us hope? It is God's holy truth. Deuteronomy 32, 46-47. Moses told this to the children of Israel before they entered the promised land. And these truths are for us. Take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. By them you will live long the land. You are crossing the Jordan to possess. The word of God was not idle words to us. So we took it to heart. And we believed it. That is why God birthed this church for the continual health and growth of our church. May we heed the words of Deuteronomy 32. May we not consider God's Word and God's Word preached as just idle words for us. May we consider it and treat it and receive it as they are. They are our life. By the Word of God, we will live. As we gather together, In our 10-year anniversary, I exhort you humbly that you would reclaim a high view of the Scriptures. Pastor Joe was right that right life without right doctrine is impossible. The first step is right doctrine. And that right doctrine comes with a high view, which is the right view. High view of the Word of God, meaning the Word of God is our absolute authority, that let God be true, every man a liar, that everything is tested by His holy scriptures, and that God's word will stand as our singular authority in our lives and our families and in our church. I exhort you, therefore, not to limit the Bible within the pages of this book. We are not worshipers of the Bible. We don't worship this book. We worship Christ through this book. And we worship Christ by walking, living according to its truths. So may the word of God come alive as we interact in this world and think biblically. That we don't compartmentalize our lives between sacred and secular. But we view everything in light of the Holy Scriptures. So whether it's our relationship with our spouse, whether it's parenting, whether it's finances, whether it's at our work, whether it's with our friends or our neighbors, everything in this world, our hobbies, entertainment, we'll filter it to the lens of Scripture. And we'll say, let God's word be true, every man a liar. And finally, the Bible invites us to experience and taste, savor the Word of God for ourselves. We're not to just vicariously study the Bible or just indirectly understand it in our intellect. We are to savor it experientially, experimental Christianity, or we tasted in the depths of our being, salvation, wisdom, joy, seeing the beauty of Christ, having true satisfaction in the Word of God. The Bible invites us, the Bible also tells us that apart from Him, we can't do it. It's impossible to know salvation, to have wisdom, to see the beauty of Christ, to have joy, to have this eternal satisfaction. It is impossible apart from Christ. And that is the worst place to be. You know, for children, the worst place, the, the, the most unhappiest place in the whole world for children is downtown Disney. So close, but so far. That's like a to- place of torture, kids. I think on our children like misbehave, I'm going to take them to downtown Disney and have them look into Disneyland and then take them back home. And that's the worst kind. That now traumatized them because well, that's the most unha- unhappiest place in the world. Well, same thing. If you are here in the Christian church and you are seeing everyone get saved, everyone growing in wisdom, everyone experiencing joy, everyone seeing the beauty of Christ, everyone having satisfaction, but you are on the outside looking in. You are the most miserable person in all the world. The Bible says it's impossible for us. How can we have these experiences and taste it for ourselves? And it's through the gospel. It's through the gospel of Jesus, of God's Son, Jesus. He has done it. He has won the victory. We are not to work. These are applications to do. These are experiences to have. How can we have these experiences? By resting from work and trusting in the gospel. Right? By believing in the gospel. By depending on Christ. By hoping in Christ. And not working. Trusting in Him. Oh, happen we will see the beauty of God's word and it will be powerful to us and it will produce in us all these fruits. So may God remove us from that most miserable place, the most place of highest delight, highest joy, by granting us that muster seed of faith to, to take our eyes off of ourselves, to not trust in our works, but trust in Christ alone you bow your heads and close our time in prayer much time has passed so we'll close our service and i'm praying together god we thank you for your scriptures we thank you for the gospel it is your truth that gave us life as christians and it is your truth that gave life to this church so as we conclude our time together this morning We look back and we give all glory, honor, and praise to you because you have done it. You are the author. You are the perfecter. You are the one that is working in us, to will to act according to your good purpose. So, Lord, we are left with just gratitude, praise, and thanksgiving to you for the great and awesome things you have done and are doing and will do in our lives. Lord, we pray that we would not be moved from the Word of God. We would stay here, and we would savor every bite of of Scriptures. We would would trust in the Gospel, trust in You, and would experience firsthand all the joys that that are reserved for those who set aside their own works, set aside their own pride and righteousness, and trust in the cross. For all things. Lord we thank you for this. For this wonderful worship service. Give all glory to you. Pray this in Jesus name. Amen.